Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers, and having real and honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm CJ, and today I have the pleasure of sitting here with Crystal Chang. Hey there. Ashley Bohens. Hey. And Shane Sanchez. Hey, everyone. Today on Rethinking Youth Ministry, we're going to talk about what it looks like to lead a youth ministry when a church is in a season of transition. And Shane, I know that uh, you have been in youth ministry for a little while, right? Yes. And how long have you been in youth ministry? Um, About... 10 years volunteer and vocational, four years vocational. Okay. And and Shane is uh, the youth pastor at Mission Church, right? Yeah. Mission a- Community Church. And uh, out in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And we are excited because you actually entered your, uh, your most recent season of ministry at Mission in the middle of a huge church transition, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to dive into some of that and what that looked like. And Ashley Crystal, you both have been parts of churches that have gone through transitions as well. And And so today we're going to talk about how to actually navigate those transitions as a youth pastor and whether or not you're walking into a season like that where there's a lot of church transition or whether you're a student pastor and all of that happened to you, you know, uh, the church's vision changed or maybe the senior pastor's transitioning out or something like that. These can be difficult seasons to navigate and that's a really hard thing to Google. Like how do I navigate my student ministry and keep families involved and students coming when everybody's asking questions and things are, you know, it's just, there's a lot going on, right? So Shane, I just want to go ahead and and dive into what your experience has been and your story, because we were talking at lunch today, just today, and there it's some compelling stuff and amazing stuff that you, you face. So can you kind of share a little piece of your story, what you walked into at Mission? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my wife and I came to Mission about eight years ago. And first engage as volunteers. We we served um, and were, were volunteer staff, I guess you could yeah. say, in the college ministry for a while, um, and then came on vocationally in a in a youth pastor role about four years ago. And three months after came on vocationally, our our church transitioned massively. Um, in fact, our early pastor at the time had a moral failure, and as any of you who've experienced that know. Um, that has a big impact on a church. Yeah. So we, we walked through that transition. And then about a year after that crisis, um, we have a, a new lead pastor that came in. Yeah. And with that came a lot of energy and excitement. But it also came a new vision, yeah. which was another massive shift in our church. So really, the past four years, every every moment that I've I've had an opportunity to be on staff at our church has been full of transition, which is also full of a lot, a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. yeah. For me, when I was on uh, staff at a church up in Maryland, we went through many seasons of not having an executive pastor or a family life pastor or next-gen pastor, whatever you call it. And I remember in a six-month time period, I had five different bosses. Like, my boss switched (laughs) that many times. So I, like, never really know who my my boss was. That's like more turnover than youth pastors. (laughs) I know. But it wasn't that we were losing all those people. It was just, like, they were trying to, like, restructure, but there was nobody Mm. at the helm restructuring, and so Mm -hmm. it just kept changing, which was really hard. But I think what I learned in that process and um, I guess would be foundational to this conversation is just having appropriate expectations Mm. because you yourself can be really hurt in the process of transition. You can take things personal that aren't meant to be taken personal um, and your expectations of everybody else as they're going through the transition, if they're not like appropriate 
uh, it's, it's really going to, you're going to feel let down yeah. in mm-hmm. the process. So, Ash, I think what you said is so great because every time I think about a, a whole church that's in transition, in my mind, this is probably terrible, but it's like the scene of an explosion. Right. And there are, I mean, <laughs> like, we just okay. all laughed at that. Right. Yeah. We all laughed because we've all felt the pain of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's shrapnel, there's mm-hmm. a body count. <laughs> it's terrible. That's terrible. And it's true. It is true. That was graphic. I That's know. Fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so Shane, what was the body things. count at your church? <laughs> oh, no, I don't too many. <laughs> but in the process, like, I think sometimes youth workers are like the EMTs. Yeah. And they're running in to take care of students who, by the way, nobody considers during a whole church transition. Mm. Um, and they're running in to take care of families because a lot of times the only church contact the parent has is the youth pastor. Mm. And they're taking mm. care of volunteers. And at some point, you have to take care of the EMT. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I get it. Like, I get the emergency transition mode. And, and we went through a lot of that. That's part of my story. But there is a time to take care of the person taking care of people. Mm-hmm. And that's so hard. Mm-hmm. That's super hard to get to. Um, Jane, I, I super get what you were saying about being um, the, what was the, the volunteer staff member. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> You get that. Yeah. I get it. That was my life for about 10 years mm-hmm. was a volunteer staff member. And uh, during that time, we had about six youth pastors. Wow. And every time one would leave, I would be the person standing in the middle until a new one came in. And and then there were some whole church staff transitions where we lost executive pastors or we went through vision shifts and we lost worship leaders, which nobody realizes also has an effect on the students. Mm. And every time I just remember thinking, I wish from the top, everybody realized what an effect this has on the kids because they all connect with somebody different in the church Mm -hmm. and they all connect with their youth leader, but they also all think a whole lot of the the senior pastor and they think a whole lot of the family pastor and they think a whole lot of the worship leader because that's who they want to be when they grow up because they just got a guitar three months ago. Right. And so (laughs) those, those transitions have such an effect on the students. And I just don't know that the whole church always realizes that. Crystal, that's huge because you're right. Not a lot of people do consider some of these, the trickle down impact on, on students. And that's why I think, Shane, I'd love to dive into your story a little bit more because, you know, you said you took this student ministry position and then literally a few months later, uh, there's a moral failure in the church. And that's, you know, sends the church immediately into some turmoil, right? Or in yeah. some, you know, havoc a little bit. What impact did that have on your students? What impact did they, you know, hit the, hit the floors of your ministry? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, initially, it, it probably didn't have the impact that we would have expected. I, I remember when we first communicated w- what had happened to junior hires and high schoolers, and there actually wasn't a ton of reaction. There wasn't an audible reaction. It wasn't maybe mm. as much as we were carrying, mm-hmm. but it was in the months and years to come where we saw the impact. There was a lot of residual damage that took place as a result of that. So, so everything happened uh, significant in, in the big crisis that I mentioned. Yeah. But then just months into all of that, um, the junior high pastor at the time transitioned. So, so now I, I'm moving into another role. The junior hires are experiencing someone different. High school yeah. is still pretty steady, but there's just so much. And, and uh, in the years to come, there would be constant and consistent change. Gosh, it felt like almost every six months, something significant. So, so it was more so probably two years in, two and a half years in, where 
I began seeing some of the, the residual damage in the lives of teenagers. And some of that was, gosh, we had teenagers that continued to attend the youth ministry whose families had decided to go elsewhere, uh. which, which could be really complex and really difficult. I, I know that for, for some of us, that might be really common, but yeah. their whole family was a part and was bought in and, and was really cued into mission and where it was going. And then their, their parents, which are the most important support yeah. in their lives, decided to go, I, I think there might be somewhere better for us, but if, if you want to stay, you totally can. And so now a, a teenager has to process, like, how do I make these mm-hmm. big decisions? What does this mean if mom and dad go somewhere else? Like, right. where do I fit yeah. in here? Like, I have my people, but I don't necessarily love everything and where it's going. And, and that's a really confusing tension. So had a lot of those conversations and honestly had a lot of probably specifically high schoolers that decided to leave on their own. Hmm. So junior hires were more impacted and connected to their families. We saw yeah. them leave as their families left, but high schoolers hung around for a little while. And then some of them just came to a breaking point of either not understanding where our church was going now or, or wondering wow. what that means for them, or still a little bit hurt from yeah. the crisis and the difficult difficulty that we went through as a church. I would imagine that much transition would erode a lot of trust. I mean, from the lead pastor letting them down in that way to the junior high pastor transitioning to their parents going to a different church. I mean, for any teenager in a time where their brains and their lives are changing on so many levels for the things that they would hope to remain constant or that maybe need to remain constant in that phase for those to also be changing. I mean, I don't know how you, I don't even know how you undo that damage to those teenagers, you know? Yeah. Like, I would imagine you learned a lot through that because I'm not sure anybody can really prepare you <laughs> to lead through that kind of circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I failed often, to be honest. Um, there, there are some teenagers that were a part of our core at the time that, that are still around today or that have graduated out and continue to call Mission Home. And those have been really great stories to see them push through, to see them mature in their mm. faith, because it can be a catalyst of, of yeah. faith maturity for them. But there have been some that um, fell through the cracks. Sounds awful, but I, I think really that's, ha- that's what happened. Some of the toughest conversations over the past couple of years, I, I mean, I'll never, I'll never forget one with, with uh, a girl in our ministry that my wife and I love dearly and spent some time investing in. And her parents had changed churches for, for good reasons. They had the reasons. Some of it was um, they were no longer aligned or no longer necessarily agreed. That sounds weird, but necessarily agreed yeah. with where our church was headed. And she continued to stay. But there came to a point where she began asking questions like, mm-hmm. what, what's in this for me? And that, that sounds selfish. That's not what she meant. I think she was processing and going, hey, I've been here for a long time. There's been so much change. When is it going to be done? Like, when mm. is this place going to feel familiar and like home to me again? So tried my best to listen um, and, and then also to speak life into that situation or to try to speak clarity and truth. But if I'm completely honest, thinking back in it, I think I was processing some of that myself too. So there, there might've been a yeah. point where my heart was hurt a little bit in that as well. And, and maybe that came out a little bit in the conversation. And yeah, the, I could see how you could get a little offended at that too. Well, well yeah, because you're, you're trying to lean in. I mean, if, if you're staying a part of this church, you believe in where it's heading. So, so you want teenagers so badly to understand that and, and not just to understand it, but, but to feel it and to buy into it as well. And when you have those conversations and they don't end that way or they don't yeah. end on a happy, like, Oh, I, I get it now. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But they end in like a, Nope, I still don't think this is for me. And you see this, those teenagers transition as a result of it. 
that's really difficult because you love them. And, and unfortunately, there's, there's some teenagers in our ministry that transitioned away and never found another local church. They disconnected completely, mm. which, is, which is terrifying and frustrating. And I think, I think as a youth pastor, you can, you can feel responsible for that, but you're also angry a little bit mm-hmm. as you know, if, if it's a result of should, sin or there's something like that in the church, but should you feel responsible for that? You know, that's, that's a question I think I've asked myself a million times and I, and I don't, I don't know that I fully have the answer. Like I, I really do hope, I hope a decade from now, because I have so much to learn that I look back and stewarded some of this as, as best as possible. not just me. Like it's not, a, it's not about me. It's our whole church and our leadership and the people that have pushed through and carried this forward. But, you know, I hope we look back and go, we stewarded this as best as we possibly yeah. could in the time, but yeah, you can't, you can't, you know, hold the, carry the burden of, you know, a crisis that happened at a leadership level, level above you that you inherited the shrapnel of. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, you know, it's just like, man, that is so difficult. Like of, you're doing your best yeah. and you can't, I wouldn't think, and Crystal actually chime mm-hmm. in, you can't b- carry the burden of that, that big crisis on your shoulders and feel the weight of the responsibility of every student who, Oh, it's hard to, not to, move to on. though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard not to when those students have been entrusted to you and, and yeah. you're their leader. Even though you didn't create the fallout, it's yeah. so hard not to feel responsible when they leave or when they leave faith. Like that's mm-hmm. that's incredibly painful. I remember having this conversation with Chef not too long ago, and um, he said something to me that actually it helped me shift my perspective of it. Mm -hmm. He said, there's a difference between what you're responsible for and what you're responsible with. And as youth pastors, we are responsible with the students that Mm -hmm. we've been entrusted with for this time. We're not responsible for someone else's decisions, although it's hard not to feel that way. But I think like reminding yourself, I'm not responsible for them, or even if they pursue faith beyond the time that they're in my ministry, I'm just responsible with them Mm -hmm. and the information I um, give them and the opportunities I provide for them. I thought that was really helpful. That's great. Yeah, that is really helpful. That's awesome. Shane, I wanted to ask a question as somebody who's been through a lot of transition, because this is something that honestly in transition I've always struggled with, is how do you balance honoring your leadership in times of transition and being honest with your students in times of transition? Because (laughs) I have failed on both ends of that spectrum. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. We are starting over. (laughs) We tell you all the ways I failed as well. Yeah, gosh, um, all the hard questions. No, that's that's a really that's a really great question. Um, I've tried as best as possible, and, and not not just me, our, our team as a whole. I feel like I feel like our youth team has leaned into this really well to go. Hey, we're we're gonna trust, and and I'll say this too. One of the first conversations our our new lead, he's no longer our new lead pastor, but uh, at the time our new lead pastor had with us was a conversation in regard to trust and choosing to trust and filling any gaps that we have with leadership, any gaps we have with, with other employees in the church, whatever else, filling that gap with trust. So we had that conversation really early on and decided to, to lean into that, decided to, to trust, which translates to teenagers. I mean, what we're going to talk about is is going to be in alignment with where our leadership is taking us. We're not going to resist. I, I think I learned early on that it's not ever worth it to resist leadership because mm-hmm. y- you, you are leading the youth ministry 
of a local church, which is under the leadership wow. of someone else or a group of people or whatever else. So you're going to hit a whole bunch of ceilings and bump into a whole bunch of walls yeah. that are going to wind up making a really unhealthy culture and dynamic for the teenagers in, in the ministry if you try to push that way. So it, I don't want to say it was blind trust, but, but ultimately it went beyond that. I, I had to trust that our leadership was really leaning into where Jesus wanted to take our church yeah. and what God intended. So my trust was no, not so much in a person, but it, it, it had to be in God. And our whole staff team had to lean into that. That was the conversation of going, this is not our church. This is not my church. It's not our lead pastor's church. Although we love where it's going and, and through this transition, this is, this is God's church. And he said he's going to build it and that even the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So we had to actually choose to trust that he was telling the truth when he said that. So that was, that was the biggest thing for us. So did you tell your students like what was going on when your lead, the old lead pastor was let Made go or left or whatever? Did you tell the students the same things you told the adults or? So, so I didn't actually, we had another, there was a, a different junior high pastor at the time and a, and a different high school pastor. I was in the junior high director role, which is I, I don't even, I mean, I oversaw programming, kind of an associate role, essentially. Yeah. So they had the Us honor. Us girls know everything about the title director. <laughs> oh, oh, we're oh. so good at being <laughs> That's a oh different podcast. <laughs> Y'all are pastors. Different uh, episode. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't have to say it, but I was in the room. And mm. uh, I know the weight that it had on on the, 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 the guys that were in that role at the time. And, and so it was heavy tough. and it was hard. But like I said earlier, what was so surprising about it is that the junior highs and the high schoolers didn't respond how, how we thought yeah. they were going to, which is probably a whole different conversation into church culture and silos and all of that. Um, <laughs> because I think yeah. maybe that's why it happened in some, in some respects, but, um, I know it was really, really difficult. So I'm sorry. I'm just asking for clarity. So mm -hmm. you guys did tell them yeah. every, all the details and everything. We, we did. We, yes, we did. Some of the details were a little bit, a little bit intense, um, in regard to, uh, there, there were extramarital affairs, and I think we hit it from a really high level when, when we told them. Mm -hmm. We didn't get into details and exactly what all of that looks like because we wanted their parents to be able to have that conversation with them yeah. as opposed yeah. to That's us huge. introducing this. And then they wow. go home and are asking mom and dad, what is, I, hey, my youth pastor said this today. <laughs> right. um, we would <laughs> yeah. much rather that a parent yeah. would have heard that first and then, hey, we're going we're gonna to let you know there's some change that's happened, but, but we wanted parents to help them navigate. So you're still at the same church four years later, and you mentioned earlier that like you didn't really see the students processing it or hurting from it until like six months later, a couple years later. Like, do you feel like looking back now that you guys handled that the right way with your youth? Would you have done anything different? Gosh, you know, I, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to say because. Honestly, I wasn't in charge at that mm -hmm, time, mm -hmm. so I don't want to say anything that dishonors people that I love in that respect, but I will say, um, I think we could have resourced parents better. Got it. I think one of the things we weren't thinking through at the time was really a parent strategy, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we knew that we could have those conversations with junior hires and with high schoolers, and that parent, we were trusting that parents were having those conversations separately, but partnering and going, mm. hey, your teenager's walking through this just as you are, that probably would have led to a potentially a much healthier end result. That's good. You are not alone in that. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking as we were sitting here talking was every transition we went through at my previous church, I wish that we had partnered with parents better. Mm. And I wish we had set up parents to have tough conversations about 
when Christians make bad decisions. I wish we had set up parents to have those conversations at home in addition to having conversations from stage because I think we've missed some opportunities there. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So how would you do that? Like, would you do it in like a formal training? Would you send home resources? I think it depends on the context and what's happening. I think a, a youth pastor getting a new job is probably different than a, a moral failure from a senior pastor right. yeah, yeah. or a worship pastor who leaves to go to a different church, like talking about God's calling, all of that. I think it's, it depends on the situations, but I would always want to have a conversation with parents first, mm-hmm. very near the time you plan to have a conversation with students, because I wish if, if I said, keep this confidential, every parent would, they won't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it would be very near the time, but I would always want to have a conversation first with parents and say, here's how you talk about this at home. Give some sort of training, even just so they have a rough scriptural knowledge of of how calling works and how you know how how yeah. does God factor in to these changes at our church. I would want to give them words to say so they're not left blindsided when their kid comes home with big news from church so, and they're not ready. So let me ask you you guys this. Um, Shane, Crystal, you guys are talking about, you know, resourcing parents better, maybe in some of those those difficult difficult situations of in seasons of transition. So what did you, what did you guys do that worked well? What 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 we what can you look back on and say, "Hey, this worked well because I think that's what you know, if someone's in transition or a season of transition in their church as a youth pastor, they're like, "Okay, what, what, what do I need to do? How do I protect my students and lead them well through this? What worked well for you guys? Well, we had a, a strategy of surprising as few people as possible. Hmm. And so it always began with staff having conversations with key volunteers, having conversations with the volunteers that those volunteers were leading, and having sort of these trickle-down conversations, which requires a ton of trust. Mm-hmm. Because if you have one person call their small group and tell every kid in it, then the whole high school knows, right? Mm-hmm. But then we would, beyond volunteers, start with our seniors and say, hey, because you're our leaders, we need to have a, a family conversation that will stay here. In two hours, we'll tell the rest of the youth ministry, but we want to talk to you first. Mm-hmm. And really valuing those that are leading the ministry, whether they're students or staff or volunteers, trying to surprise as few people as yeah, possible. that's great. That's really good. I, I think, too, in crisis, we we learned some of the mistakes yeah. that we made. We learned from some of those mistakes. And as our church began to see some positive transition, yeah. whether it was our vision shift, you know, yeah. that was a that was a big transition in in our church as well. We learned lessons from crisis and going, hey, we we need to over communicate with parents. Um, uh, Chris, I love what you said. We we want as few people surprised as possible. Mm-hmm. That was really it. Yeah. In fact, we got that feedback from from parents. Hey, we we just we need to know more and mm-hmm. sooner. Um, so we wanted parents to know what was coming, what we were going to talk about, what their teenagers were going to hear before their teenagers heard it. We we still probably could have done a little bit of a better job of resourcing, but at least we were communicating and that communicated value to the parents. Yeah. So I'd imagine there are people listening who maybe are going through this right now, or they're living in the aftermath of it. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you both, Crystal and Shane, are speaking from experiences where um, the church was open about what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine not every church is in that context. Like there mm. are probably churches where something like that happened, but nobody actually knows what happened. Mm. Or if you know what happened, you're not allowed to talk about what happened. So how do you, like in those scenarios, how do you lead your students without being able to actually give them information to process? Oh, actually, I think I know what you're talking about. It's that 
moment when someone's leaving and everyone says, why is pastor so-and-so leaving? And you know, mm-hmm. but you can't really talk about what you know. Right. Um, yeah, we were, we were in that situation a couple of times. And I think in those moments, it's important to honor your leadership. It's important to, to only talk about the facts that everyone knows are the facts. If that's something you've given your word to do, mm-hmm. um, especially if you really don't know. Mm-hmm. I know there were times of transition at my church where I had a pretty good idea, but I didn't know for sure. And it was so tempting to speculate, mm-hmm. especially with students or volunteers that you really trust. But that is not, I, I almost want to use the word edifying. <laughs> yeah. like, that, is, that is not health, healthy or helpful for the local church. And so I think we have to be very, very careful because in reality, when someone transitions, good or bad, or changes jobs, good or bad, there's a temptation to look for the juicy details, if you're in the audience, right, to, to look yeah. for the, yeah, but what's really going on? And part of our uh, responsibility as leaders is to not feed that monster, yeah, but to really just exist in the facts and honor the, the leadership as best you can and keep your integrity intact in the process. For sure. Yeah. That's so good. I, and I, and I do think it happens in positive times too. I mean, yeah. in, in our context, we had crisis, but then we had positive vision shift and we saw some people transition out of, out of that. But because of the crisis that had taken place, everybody had those questions. There was a gap of trust of, Oh, this person's leaving. They say that they love this and where the church is going, but why, why would they leave then? Yeah. And, and that could be really confusing complex, really confusing, especially for teenagers. And, and I, what I learned, I'm really grateful for some of the people that did transition because they decided to transition well. Because I think so much of that, if it's a positive transition or, or just God is leading them in a new direction, it falls on the person who is transitioning. If, if they walk out and um, are, are understanding that it's positive and and they're very clear and they're very open about the reasons for their transition, it can be really helpful, especially for teenagers. So not only should they stay on stage when they're telling people or on wherever they announce it, hey, I'm, I'm leaving, I love this church, but I feel like God's leading in another direction, they need yeah. to continue to say that. And yeah. their actions have to continue to show that. And, yeah. and some of the people that transitioned away from mission during, during the season, what, what was and could be a positive season, did that. All that did was help our vision catch momentum, help the new direction of the church in a positive way. Yeah. You know, one thing that I really wish I'd done more of in transition really came out of uh, a a series that we wrote here at XP3, for those of you listening who don't know. um, Ashley and CJ and I work for a curriculum organization called Orange. We produce a curriculum for middle school and high schoolers called XP3 students, and Um, We did this series about things that could kill your faith. And the last week of the series was Christians behaving badly. Hmm. And the bottom line for that message was don't forget who you follow. Hmm. And as we wrote that line, I really felt a little bit convicted about how I'd handled some transitions because they were such good opportunities to point teenagers to Jesus and say, yes, pastor so-and-so is leaving, but don't forget who you follow. Yes, your youth pastor is leaving, but don't forget who you follow. And to really build that line into them as a, all of this could change and yeah. fall apart tomorrow and who you follow is still worth following. I wish that I wish that I'd done more of that in yeah. times of transition. So I want to go back to that idea that, that there might be situations where, where you can't share or, or you're, you're not allowed to, or leadership yeah. has made the decision for you or whatever else. The reality is that happens from time to time. I think on the other end of that coin, if you are trusting leadership or it is a trustworthy situation, 
you have to also discern what you should and shouldn't share. So there might be reasons why, and they might be valid reasons. And, and your gut may go, hey, everybody needs to know everything. But through seasons of transition, especially difficulty and crisis, I think you have to gauge what's wise, especially for teenagers. Yeah. There are some details that they don't necessarily need to know. And, and I know that's hard. Like that's a really difficult tension to live in because you want to be transparent. You want to be honest. You never want to hide things, but you have to think about their phase of life, the way that they're thinking and processing. And if the end goal is we want them to continue to focus on Jesus, we mm -hmm. want to keep him first and we want them to love their local church. They have to understand that being a human is messy. Sometimes mm -hmm. Christians behave badly, but at the same time, their, their church is still for them. So you have to live in that tension of, is this a helpful thing to share? Is this a negative thing to share? If I say this, is it going to derail students for a reason mm -hmm. that they don't need to be derailed. And I think probably one of the most helpful things we could do in that is have somewhere else where we can yeah. share all the details. Because I think in times where I've been tempted to overshare with students or with their parents that I'm close to or with volunteers that I'm close to, um, it's really it was really more about me sharing and yeah. me having a place to process those things. And so I've just in, intentionally in more recent years found a place outside my organization, a safe person outside my organization that I can share all the juicy details <laughs> with mm -hmm. and, and tell them everything that I'm thinking and everything that I'm wrestling with so that it doesn't come out with the people that I serve. Yeah, that's great, Crystal. And I think that kind of leads into, I think the last thing that we need to hit and, and that's how you take care of yourself in the midst of a crisis or a big, you know, church shift or something like that, where, uh, you know, and I love the analogy that you used at the very, very beginning uh, of this episode where you were talking about, you know, the, the youth pastors are often the EMTs of the church and of the ministry because they're, you know, as close to the ground as they can get with all of their students, you know? And so what does it look like to protect yourself and to take care of yourself in those times of crisis, in those seasons of transition, good or bad, when there's a lot going on around you? Shane, how did you take care of yourself in the midst of that crisis season? Um, I will tell you, I'm still learning. Yeah, this, I mean, that's, that's really a big part of it. I, I think having people in my life that I can talk to and process with was, was huge. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a healthy relationship with my lead pastor as well. So I, I, don't, I don't feel like I have to hide things in yeah. conversation, even with him. I, there was a moment, gosh, probably a year ago, after our student ministry staff and through all of this transition had went from a team of about nine and for multiple reasons had shifted down to to, um, where I to two. let's yeah. stop there. That doesn't I mean, seem like a lot on your shoulders. Well, it was, it, I mean, it was exhausting, but it, but it had to be that way in the yeah. season we were going through and we had to understand that, but I, I was able to have a really honest conversation and just go, I'm tired and my wife's tired and I have two little kids at home mm -hmm. and I want them to love their local church and they're never tired because they're two and one at the time <laughs> probably. So yeah. that's just part of it. But I think it's taking the steps to breathe, to process. I think counseling is incredibly important. I think any taboo around it is, is, is just unfair. I think it can be, it can be key in so many ways. So I do think as you're going through transition, positive crisis, whatever it may be, there has to be that moment where you stop and go, am, am I okay? Like I've been, mm -hmm. I've been hit with, with a, a 
bunch of different bullets or arrows or rocks that have been thrown or just that have fallen off the windshield in front of me or whatever yeah. else. Like, am, am, am I okay? Because if I'm not okay, this ministry is not going to be okay. And, and, and just to, to be totally honest, I mean, that's, that's a process that I'm still living in right now. Um, it's been, it's been really, really difficult. I don't have any of this figured out. I mean, what we're talking about is, is what I've been learning along the way. And, and I hope that down the road I can look back and go, okay, I learned something in that. And, and that other people or other people that get the opportunity to lead or my family or whatever else, we can look back and go, we were better for that. Cause that's the question that we get all the time. Like, especially in our area of the country, people that, that know of our church, know the positive crisis, all of that. The question is always, Hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like that, that's what it was. Yeah. Now it's more positive because I really feel like we're, we're entering, I think what's going to be the best season in the history of our church. But that question was so funny. And, and every time I was like, you know, I would never wish what we've went through on anyone, mm. but I'm so mm. grateful that I got to experience it. Yeah. And that seems so backwards and hard to say, but the reality is I've learned lessons through this process that I never would have learned any other way. They're brutal and I wish <laughs> I hadn't, but I'm incredibly grateful for that. Yeah. That's awesome. I think going back to the first responder analogy, yeah. <laughs> there's only so long a firefighter can stay in the fire before they have to come out and take a break. <laughs> And I think as ministry leaders, our temptation is to go into that fire and just stay there until the season's over. But as you know, you've been in a season of transition, now just coming to the other side of it four years later. That's not a season. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. that's a <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's important for us to just pick a time frame, whether it's 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. How long are you willing to sprint before you take a breather and start to take care of the first responder? Um, and it, it might be different for everybody, but I wish I'd done that a few times. So what does that look like to when, okay, say you do get to that end of that time frame, you're like, okay, now it's got, I've got to take care of myself. What, it, what does that mean for you? That's the hiring a coach, hiring a counselor. I wish I could go back to Crystal 10 years ago and say, you've got 60 days in you of just sprint and care for all the people you can care for. And yeah. then... You need to take a break and trust God that he has a plan for all the lives of the people you serve to. Mm -hmm. You might need to take a weekend off and you might need to get a coach or get a counselor to walk you through this. I love that. Yeah. Set a a date and then um, sprint to that and then figure out what your next steps need Mm -hmm. to be. Similar to you guys, I also... I've learned the importance of having someone else to lean into during those times and not just somebody who's in your circle like your lead pastor, your boss, or somebody you trust on staff, but somebody who is so far outside of the circle yes. who can see clear <laughs> so and doesn't have like the emotional weight yeah. that you're carrying and who you can go to them and in like full disclosure, talk about what's going on in the church and know that it will never leave that conversation. And you can ask the question, is this normal? Like, yes. is this, is this how I should be ex- like expect to be treated in this? Or, yeah. you know, it, are they handling this in the right way? Do you have any experience? Like to have somebody that you trust that is for you, that's for your church, that's for your ministry, that is going to help you see things by removing the emotional component of it and help you see clear. I think that was in- invaluable to me. That's great. That's great. So as we as we wrap up here, I would love to hear what do you do you three have any final thoughts for um, for that youth pastor who's walking into that situation or who just found themselves in the middle of a crisis or a big church transition? Yeah, I would just say maybe um, 
focus on having grace for everybody involved. I think sometimes we are so focused on on one person or another that that we forget that everybody involved is a real person. Mm, and yeah. I know in in my situation, one of the best things I could do is not share details because there were families involved and there were volunteers involved and there were you know there was leadership involved and they're all people. And so the best way to share grace is not to share gossip. Yeah, Crystal, that's so good. I, I, I agree completely. Every situation, whether it's positive or it's crisis, there are people to be loved in the midst of it. And we have to remember that. Our priority always has to be people. Um, if there's a crisis that happens, a moral failure or something like that, there's, there's a person who Jesus loves and who he wants to redeem and bring back to a healthy place once again. And then on the other end of that, if it's a positive transition, a vision or whatever it may be, there's a person that's leading that and maybe taking some arrows because change is hard, maybe taking some arrows that they don't deserve and to love that person and to encourage and support is key. Mm -hmm. We do have to take care of ourselves. But at the end of the day, if we can pour out and love other people, it's going to make whatever transition we're in easier and better for everyone. Hmm. Wow. I keep thinking just if there are any youth pastors listening that are going through this right now or who are still processing in the aftermath, um, it can be so heartbreaking when someone you look up to or look to for leadership lets you down, especially if it's in a way of a moral failure or, you know, a lack of leadership or whatever it is. And I think one of the most important parts to, to the healing process is letting yourself feel what you feel. And letting yourself feel what you feel because it isn't until you fully process it that you can get on the other side of healing. And I think that that is the best example you can give your students is how you've processed, how you've moved on and can get to the other side of it. But I don't want to take away from the fact that it hurts when you're let down by someone you look up to. And so if that's you and you're listening, I'm so sorry. And know that you're not alone. And if you ever want to talk, we're here. And speaking of we're here for you, uh, at Orange, the company that uh, Crystal, Ashley, and I work for, we have these people called Orange Specialists. In fact, we have two of them that regularly appear on this podcast. One of them's Brett, you know, your, your, your beloved host, and Charlie Condor, uh, who's also a regular guest on this podcast. And whether or not you actually use our curriculum, you can reach out to them. Uh, that's what they do full-time, is they work with you know our, our curriculum subscribers, yes, but also others who aren't, uh, who don't use our curriculum. They are just resources that you can reach out to. So if that's you and you need uh, someone to talk to who knows what you might be going through, um, then you can visit our website, rethinkingym.org, and we will have a link uh, there for you to click on, reach out to an orange specialist and have a conversation. So that might be one of the best takeaways from this episode for sure. Well, thank you guys so much for being open, honest, having this super transparent conversation. Shane, thanks for sharing your story. I know that you've been through a lot and your ministry is now taking off and we can't wait to see where that goes as well. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Rethinking Youth Ministry. And thanks for joining us for season one of the podcast. Yes, that's right. This is the final episode of season one of Rethinking Youth Ministry. 
as we head into summer here, we're going to take a short break, uh, a short break from posting, that is. We're still hard at work behind the scenes, uh, scheduling uh, guests and planning some uh, exciting conversations. But don't worry, we'll be back very soon. We'll be back in August as we all get ready for the 2018-2019 school and ministry season. But between now and August, feel free to visit our website, rethinkingym.org, where you can catch up on episodes maybe you missed or revisit some episodes that really hit home for you and maybe even, you know, uh, dive into some of those episodes and make plans to implement some changes for your own fall ministry season. Until August, from all of us on the Orange and Rethinking Youth Ministry team, have a great summer.